You were almost like gamble. Like if you think about it back now, you were almost like gambling like twenty dollars every week in the hopes of making like that. Is, that's like a, a step or stone away from just being gambling almost. That's pretty. Uh... Yeah. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is a longtime journalist, interviewer, writer, and podcaster. She has worked for companies such as Esports uh, Heaven, Jinx TV, and the European League of Legends Esports. Please let me introduce Amanda Stevens. Welcome to the show. What's up? How are you doing today? Good. I'm so happy to have on your show. So people might not know, but we've been longtime friends, actually, since, since before- 2016. Yeah, 2016. World. That is a long time. It is. In esports years, it's like a decade. I know. And it's it's funny because you were one of the first friends I think I met in esports when I was looking to get in. Like very early on before before I did like anything, it was like trying to break into the scene. You were one of the first people who I met and had talked to and had told me a little bit about the scene. And it's <laughs> I feel like such a I feel like such a child back then. Like looking at the esports seed and my hopes and dreams for it and what it would come to and i feel like now i'm a pessimistic old man who's like you kids i'm just waiting for the beard to be grown in honestly like you've kept the same baby face and i, I thought can't that grow like, it i can't I figured in three years of esports that like it would just break your soul enough that like finally your facial hair could grow i thought esports <gasps> was going to be what would do it for you no it's so sad <laughs> i i was showing on stream the other day because i hadn't shaved in like a week and it there was like nothing there but i have like one spot underneath my chin that is like a, a bare chin strap that i legit cannot grow hair in it is embarrassing and awful so, oh, oh, God, you're getting triggered already. So I wanted, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because I don't, like, we, we talked kind of beforehand that I don't know much about your personal life, like, growing up, like, what it was like for you, because um, I really only knew you 2016. We talked a little bit. So I want to start it off easy. Um, you're into a lot of different esports, frankly. You're into, like, yeah. fighting games. You're into League of Legends. Uh, you did some stuff with Overwatch. Like, pretty much everywhere else. But you were also into um, card games, too, weren't you? Yeah. So, yeah, what, so uh, what was your involvement with uh, Magic the Gathering? Because I think that's the big one I know about. So, um, as a kid, uh, Magic... So, Magic is always the thing that has always allowed me to find friends no matter where I've been in life. Mm -hmm. um, when I was younger, my local comic book shop would uh, give you a pack of, I believe it was beta and revised, if you had a big enough pull list. And since my pull list was my allowance uh, for doing chores and stuff, I would get magic cards. And I didn't realize that it was like a game. I was like, this art is cool. There's text on the cards, but like the art is really cool. And then eventually in elementary school, I found out that like it's a card game. You play it. Uh, and I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. Uh, flash forward to like college by college, I started playing more competitively. Mm -hmm. And for a little bit, I was playing magic semi-professionally, not making a ton of money, which I mean, no one really makes a ton of money in magic anyway. Uh, yeah. and paying like bills playing magic. Really? Uh, yeah. So, uh, there's this, so there's this thing called the star city games open. They're one of the biggest retailers. Uh, and content sites and magic. They also do a Star City Games tour. Uh, and so I was a magic judge and they used to have a policy where if you applied to be a judge for an event, you and didn't get selected, you got free entry into either the standard or the legacy open. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. I was a legacy player. So I would apply for events with like a very good knowledge that the hiring manager at Star City Games was never going to staff me for an event. So I would just apply to get my free entry and then I would go and compete and I would usually top 32, which made, which meant I made about a hundred bucks. So okay. then I would pay my ride, the $20 for the ride to the event. I wouldn't eat or anything at the event. And then I would go home and like hand over my $75 to my roommate. And then like maybe the day before I was at another magic event working as a judge, making another $80. So I'd give, you know, $20 in gas money to the person, hand over that 60. And uh, yeah, that was like my life with like magic from like 2014, like 2012 to like 2014. Uh, and magic is also sort of the gateway I got into content creation in a sense. You were almost like gamble. Like if you think about it back now, you were almost like gambling like $20 every week in the hopes of making like that. Is, that's like a, a step or stone away from just being gambling. Almost. That's pretty. Uh... Yeah. Uh, I was like strictly pop. Like, I mean, yeah, I was like strictly poverty level for like most of my adult life. Mm -hmm. uh, so like I had to be pretty good at magic <laughs> um, because like I didn't have uh, up until like very recently, I couldn't really have hobbies that like didn't uh, make me money. Because uh, if I wasn't making money, then it wasn't worth my time because I was bringing in so little money doing other things. That like everything I had to, everything I did had to make me some amount of money so that I could get by. So you kind of mentioned that like at least your 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 adult life like and growing up was a lot of poverty. Where did you grow up from? Like where are you originally from? I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, I grew up upper middle class. My okay. dad. Uh, so I was raised by my grandparents. My grandfather uh, is still a vice president of marketing and sales for a textile company. Um, you probably have at some point in your life bought probably more than one uh, textile by them. Uh, Maples Rugs makes uh, has partnerships with Bed Bath & Beyond, Walmart, Costco. Uh, so like there is a very high chance that like if you looked at a rug or a shower curtain or a bath mat in your apartment, or a towel, there's a decent chance Maples is on one of those labels or one of the Maples renames for working with like Costco or Walmart. So mm -hmm. like, I grew up a very privileged life. Like, you know, most people will say like they've never left the country or, you know, they've never been to Disneyland. Uh, I had like five years in a row where I went to Cancun for spring break in like really? high school. Yeah, like literally for like four years, that was like the guaranteed spring break. Wow. I've never been yeah, so, yeah, so, like, when I say that, like, my adult life, I was in poverty, that's because, like, I was uh, sort of separated from my family. Um, uh -huh. But, like, I grew, and also that's my dad's money, right? Like, even if my dad gives me money or, like, helps me with rent, that's still his money. Yeah. I'm impoverished. Amanda Stevens. Yeah. Arnold Stevens is doing fine. Okay. He's kicking it old school in Delaware. But, like, uh, yeah, so I grew up on Long Island, New York. Um uh, in Nassau County in a small incorporated village known as Freeport. Uh, and I grew up in the Baldwin district zone because Baldwin doesn't know how to draw district lines and it overlaps into three towns. And uh, went to Baldwin schools and then did private school. I did Catholic school and then non-religious affiliated private schools for most wow. of my education. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned you were raised by your grandparents. Uh, yeah. why, were, why were you raised by your grandparents? Uh, so my biological parents were separated. I don't know the like full, I know like bits and pieces of the story. Uh, not enough that I really like want to retell because both of my, both my biological parents are uh, deceased. So, sorry. so I don't want to like, uh, thank you. Uh, so I don't want to like say like, oh, this is what happened because like yeah. it's speaking ill of the dead. Uh, if I knew like the full story, then I wouldn't care how like how it's interpreted. But since I don't know the full story, I don't want to just like say what I understand it to be. Uh, so I was raised by my paternal grandparents because my father, after the divorce, uh, could not afford to raise me as a single parent. So I grew up with my grandparents, my uncles my were essentially my brothers because they weren't too far from me in age. Like one of my uncles is only six years older than me and the other one's like only like 10 or 12 years older than me. Oh, so wow. like no different than like average sibling ages anyway, right? It's not like I'm like, oh man, you're my brother, 20 year old, 20, 20 years older uncle of mine. Uh, so yeah, I grew up with my uh, paternal grandparents what was that what was that like growing up with your grandparents and then your your uncles being almost like brothers for you because i that's kind of um, an interesting not, dynamic well it wasn't so when i say that i was raised by my grandparents i don't mean like oh uh i started living them with them when i was like six my grandparents have been my parents since i was like one yeah so, so I don't know a time where they weren't my parents i don't know a time where like i didn't mm -hmm. grow up in the house with my uncles Right. So it wasn't it wasn't weird or anything for me or yeah. like uh, it, it was a little bit challenging. Like once I got like older and like had to deal with like some internal personal stuff. But like it wasn't difficult for me um, as far as like, oh, man, uh, you know, it's weird that I was living with my mom and dad and then I was living with my dad and now I'm living with my grandparents. Like there was no cognitive difference for me. So. Um, Growing up, did you learn early on that your parents did this? Did they tell you right away or did they wait? Because I know so like some adop I, like adoptions they wait too. So I remember, I want to say it was like third or fourth grade it came up. And my everyone in the room kind of like swore up and down that like they, they had told me younger. And I was like, I don't, even now I don't remember that like interaction of like a time before that. Um, so I knew that Lamar, my dad, was my dad from like third or fourth grade forward. Uh, but I called him Lamar because I'd, I had so many years of referring to him as Lamar. Um, and I didn't know pretty much anything about my mom except for the fact that uh, she was white and Jewish. That's like all I knew. Um, I didn't know anything about my mom really until a fairly awkward uh, situation. So uh, I'm 32. Uh, which means I grew up with the internet boom, which means, you know, I made a lot of the mistakes that your generation gets to learn about and not do like, you know, putting your full name on AOL instant messenger. You know, that's a thing that, you know, I, I will say after a minute, while, while I look young, I want you to know we're not actually that far in age. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be more for your audience. Okay. 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 I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I just want them to know that I, while I look like a 12 year old, I'm close to 30. <laughs> Yeah. So um, for a lot of you, you're a lot of you may have at some point when you guys were using AIM or MySpace or something, you knew, oh, you shouldn't put your full name out there. That's like not a good idea. Right. Uh, we didn't know that. 
growing up, right? Like when when AOL, like I grew up when AOL was a thing that was like you got a free disc in the mail if you're yep. yeah. So like um I had put my full name uh in my AOL and one day somebody messaged me on AIM claiming to be my mom. Uh and it was her. And so uh that was weird and interesting. And then eventually um uh I I like blocked I think I, I don't know if I blocked her because I don't know if you could block people on AIM yet, but I just would ignore her uh, and she stopped messaging me. And uh, this is when I was like 13, 14. Yeah. Um, and this was like, this was like literally that year was like pretty close to like the worst year of my life. Um, so then eventually I also found out that I had a half sibling, uh, that I have a bunch of half siblings. I don't really talk to any of them uh, at this point in my life. Uh, but yeah. So for like a very long time, I didn't know anything about my mom until one day she sent me an instant message uh, in eighth grade. How did, did, did you end up having a relationship? During, how do you go from someone sending you a, an instant message to you learning more about her? And So my dad and her got back together uh, late in my life. So I'd say around... 24 23 um and so i kind of you know she kept trying to like build a relationship with me and so eventually i was like all right but like we have to do this on my terms like you know uh because i spent my entire life not knowing anything yeah. about you and uh you know your first way of introducing yourself to me wasn't what i would consider a really gr- good move on your part um so, uh, you know, we would just have these like chats where I would ask a lot of questions. And uh, that's how I like found out that I had like a ton of half siblings. Uh, I think I technically have five half brothers. Uh, one of them distinctly does not like me. Uh, one of them and two of them I don't really know a lot about. Uh, one of them stayed in touch with me for a bit, then didn't. And then the one that's closest to me, the one that's younger than me, um, just like we drifted apart because I didn't go to my mom's funeral when she passed. Uh, I was having a lot of complex feelings about her uh, at the time. And honestly, I didn't want to go to a funeral with uh, and see a side of my family that uh, didn't do anything to interact with me uh so i just didn't go yeah that makes sense so you mentioned that when she first reached out that was one of the worst years of your life so what happened up to that year like what was life like for for a man life was pretty good uh so like i said I, i went to i went to public school for elementary school um and that was pretty decent uh i mean so leading up to doing this interview i like was like filing i was like putting together like stories in my head to like tell um and so the only thing that i can really think of about elementary school that's interesting that's like oh man uh is i got hazed so i originally went to uh school for kids with special needs Mm -hmm. because i had really severe adhd as a child um and they thought i was uh meant they thought i uh couldn't learn yeah uh they thought uh they thought i had a severe mental disability um and so it wasn't until first grade when you take your first standardized test in elementary school in new york 
that they found out that I was actually fairly intelligent. Um, as far as like standardized testing yeah. goes, like, you know, there's always the argument of like kids that score really high in standardized testing. Does that really mean anything? Yeah. Um, but uh, that is when my parents decided to see what would happen if I went to regular elementary school. Because the elementary school where I was before was a school for kids with special needs called Little Village. Um, and uh, they teach you how to cope with your learning disability, which looks very differently, you know, as an adult than as a child, right? Yeah. So it's a lot of, hey, you know, it's a lot better if you practice spelling your name before you start doing the connect the dots puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, teaching you that, like, you should do things step by step, not in a randomized order. Uh, so, um, I, my like first or second day in regular public school, uh, I went out for recess and a bunch of the boys, uh, essentially tried to start a fight with me. Um, and I beat pretty much all of them up, uh, cool. because I've always been fairly tall for my age. I've never been until like high school. I was never like the shortest person in the class. I was always one of the taller kids. Um, and like, this isn't like a, a full fistica fight. This is like a bunch of kids like trying to yeah. push themselves, me, yeah. me like hip throwing all of them. Um, and uh, that's actually how I made one of uh, my best friend in elementary school because uh, he was like half heartedly involved in it. And then when I, uh, when I like full hip throw him, he was like, I, yep, not fucking with this kid anymore. Uh, I'm going to back-to-back fight with him. And we stayed thick as thieves through all of elementary school. But for the most part, my elementary school was like fairly stereotypical. Yeah. Um, with the exception that I skipped uh, reading levels and uh, made the decision not to do the accelerated, uh, not to do the gifted learning program because it wouldn't let you skip grades. So me and my parents are like, uh, do extra work for no actual benefit. Nah, we good. Uh, right. Like, like yeah. it was just like a rational life choice of like, why, why do this accelerated learning program? That's like, but I'm still going to be going through the regular elementary school grades. Right. It's yeah. not like I'm doing an accelerated learning program and like graduating elementary school, like a year or two early. Mm -hmm. I'm just, doing higher level i would just be doing higher level work yeah um while still going to my regular classes mm -hmm. I, I was gonna well, ask you class. yeah you, you right. mentioned the the special needs it's it gets because it's funny you go from being in a special needs to almost like being accepted into an accelerated program right like those are like the literal opposite extremes did the did the special needs school help you with any sort of skills or was it just this is kind of a waste no, of time uh, so you so since you're closer to age than me uh, you'll understand this. Maybe some of your viewers won't. So uh, to some of your viewers, you know, we just we we got to an era where, like, if you said a kid had ADHD, it was more that the kid had behavior problems and yeah. we were just teachers didn't know how to handle them. So they pressured the parents into yeah. giving them Ritalin or Adderall or Wellbutrin, something to get them to calm down in class so that, you know, they're, they're not a behavior problem. That wasn't me. When I say that I had severe ADHD, you... A funny story is that one of my teachers literally sat on me in class to get me to not be like running around the classroom doing a bunch of different stuff. Like that is how bad my ADHD was. 
Um, I took Ridlin from uh, second through fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, I stopped taking it in fifth grade, um, like halfway through. Uh, but like when I say that, like, like I I can't even like rem- like rationalize how out of focus I was, like kindergarten through like second grade, yeah. just like how off the rails. I was and not like harmful off the rails, not like, you know, emotionally unstable, just like literally no control over my natural impulses. So like if I started practicing spelling my name and I didn't want to do it anymore, there was no like, oh, but maybe I should finish it because the teacher said so I would just do something else. And it just wouldn't occur to me that like and not to do something else to finish it. Right. So like I would start spelling my name, K-R-I-S. And then I would start doing a connect the dot puzzle by the numbers. Mm-hmm. I would get to number six out of like 12. And then I would go and I would do a math problem. And then I'd be like, oh, well, I started all of my work. So now I'm going to go play. And like that. Makes- that yeah. And then I'd be and then the teacher would be like, well, did you do all the stuff? And I'd be like, yeah, right. Because like I did all the stuff kind of. Um yeah. And, like, there was no understanding for me that, like, that use of my energy was just not good, uh-huh. right? Um, so I just didn't – so, like, I wasn't special needs where, like, I, like, had, like, Asperger's or, like, some sort of, like, yeah. uh, mental handicap. I literally – well, I guess ADHD at that level is – but like it wasn't like I couldn't learn. It's not like I they they literally thought I could not learn. Yeah. Period. Well, I mean, they did that a lot for like ADHD. How did you get past that? Was it the Ritalin in second grade, or did you end up learning to mostly the more? like the Ritalin and like I said, like I can't remember a lot of the stuff that they like what I was distinctly being taught in kindergarten yeah. first grade because it's so long ago. Yeah. But yeah. I uh my one of my teachers ended up we uh Carol we ended up calling her my Jewish grandmother. Because she was like, uh, she would come over once a week for like another two years to like help me with stuff in school. Uh, So she would come over and she would teach me multiplication and division. She would come over and she would teach me like how to make, like how to use a planner, how to like do things in an organized order. Uh, I had a lot of like, I needed a lot of tutoring. Um, Like I said, like even my regular public school thought I was special needs yeah for 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 like the early part of second grade I distinctly remember like having to go to a separate classroom during the day to like be taught things and I would just be bored out of my mind um that would become a problem for me throughout all of my schooling all the way through college yeah uh if I'm not mentally engaged I just don't want to do it uh, so like that kept me from like, I would like just wholeheartedly like not do homework, uh, in elementary school, middle school and high school. Cause I was like, I don't need to like homework is to reinforce the things you learn in class. I don't need that. So, um, I'm just going to not do it just straight up. Yeah. Yeah. That I, like I can understand that. And I, I imagine that like, 
Like, that's not terrible if you can learn it really quickly. Because, like, college, like, homework is, like, valued less. And so a lot of times you see people who don't necessarily do well in, like, school, but they do better in college because the, the structure is just so much different and more applicable for that kind of style of learning most of the time, which is kind yeah. of interesting. So kind of going up to 13, you said that was the worst year of your, like, one of your worst years of your life. What happened? Uh, so my siblings before me, uh, went to a Catholic school in Long Island called Kellenberg. Um, so of course I went to Kellenberg. Um, I don't look like the average Kellenberg student. Uh, I am not Caucasian. Uh, we're not a Catholic family. We're a Christian family. Uh, my dad is, my dad and my mom are Baptists. Uh, I grew up Lutheran. Um, I look Middle Eastern. Uh, and so I was bullied all the time. Um, all the, like all the time, uh, I would get shoved, uh, not physically shoved into, but shoved into like, like shoved against my locker. Uh, kids would call me Ishbu. Um, and I, uh, just like developed a pretty severe depression, uh, and a lot of anger impulse control problems because I no longer had any of my friends. Uh, so all the kids I grew up with for the last like five years, uh, I'm in a school that's seven to eight times the size of my elementary school. Uh, you know, we were talking like 300 kids from 40 kids. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, I just didn't, I was struggling with understanding, you know, the demerit system uh, because my hair was really curly, uh, I would just get randomly penalized for stuff. Uh, I remember that I didn't realize right away that, so like one of the things that you couldn't have at my Catholic school is you couldn't have like distinctive lines in your haircut. And because of the way that you cut my hair, I mean, it's, it's not as curly as it was when I was younger. Yeah. Um, if you buzzed all the way up to the top of my head, there was no way to like it was very difficult if I had a new barber to understand how to do that and not create somewhat of a distinct difference. Um, and I remember looking in the mirror after I got a haircut the next day and being like, oh, crap, I have a line in my hair. I can't I obviously am just not going to go to school. Right. So my mom was like, well, oh, just be upfront with the dean. Just like go in, um, even though I've been having problems with the dean because I had behavior like not behavior problems, but I had you know, I was I got into trouble a lot. Uh, and she was like, if you go in, like, you won't like, and you just say like, Hey, new barber, we didn't realize that there was a line until now. And I still got demerits anyway. Like that was the sort of existence that I had in my first year of middle school. And I was just angry all the time. And I was sad all the time. And I was struggling in school for the first time in my life because I just wasn't happy. Like, the the me before Kellenberg and the me after Kellenberg are like two completely different people. Uh, like the me before Kellenberg is like extremely cocky, very outgoing, had a lot like no one, no one that at least I knew of wasn't my friend. Like most people enjoyed my my company, which, you know, is like fairly true for like most elementary school kids. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't I can't. I couldn't name someone who I would call a friend at Kellenberg. Wow. Like, like there's, there's no one that comes to mind. The exception would be a kid named Jeremy Johnson, who I'm still friends with to today, but I knew him beforehand because uh, Kellenberg would do summer programs like camps, like week long programs. 
And so my parents would like send me to them because like I had some very diverse interests. I did the soccer camp all summer because I was really into soccer. Um, I did, uh, and then I was like really into like earth sciences, like marine biology and stuff. And so Kellenberg had a Long Island ecology program that you could do for a week. And you would like do go to like nature sites on Long Island and like learn about Long Island ecology. There's a marine biology thing. I was super into that. So like I met Jeremy through one of those and we stayed friends. Uh, we like, and then like, he was like, oh yeah, I go to Kellenberg. He was a year older than me. So I was like, oh man, like, I thought like, oh man, you know, a year older doesn't mean much because like I'm thinking like elementary school, not thinking like big middle school. But outside of that, like Jeremy's friends would bully me. Like I literally didn't have someone in my grade who was my friend, who like I could call on the weekends to see if they wanted to go to the movies or, uh, you know, just, yeah, it just wasn't a very, a very good time so uh, you you mentioned that people were i mean i don't think there's any other term other than racist to, towards you like uh, calling you all these sorts of names do you think that the staff were also doing it because of that or was it because of the behavior no issues? teachers just didn't care uh so the teachers so nobody would ever do it directly in class yeah um and uh i would like tell like this is why I, I really believe that schools should never have a zero tolerance policy because I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of a zero tolerance pro, uh, policy. I would get, I distinctly remember a kid took a bottle cap that they found on the ground, shot it at me. Uh, it hit me in the eye and I pushed him into a locker. Uh, like what the fuck? And then that kid came in the next day with a cast on saying that I fractured his arm. Uh, that kid said that he didn't touch me or anything. Uh, and where would he have gotten a bottle cap from? And so I got 10 demerits and that kid got nothing. Oh. Or kids would start fights with me. And even if I was defending myself, I would still get demerits because I fought back. Um, so it just felt hopeless. Yeah. Like I remember by the time I had got to my 30th demerit, cause 20 suspension, 10, 15 is a letter home. Uh, no, 10 is a level, a letter home. 20 is suspension. 30 is expulsion. Um, I got to 30 demerits before the end of my first year. Um, and that gets escalated to like the Dean of the school, yeah. And yeah. when the dean of the school was reviewing all of my incidents, they were just like, there's some type of gross negligence going on that this kid is constantly getting demerits and fights. And this kid is constantly saying that they didn't start them. Like a kid broke my nose after I punched him for saying something about my mom. And I got more de demerits because I threw the first punch. Doesn't matter that the other kid broke my nose or said anything really disparaging to me. Yeah. Uh, I threw the first punch. I and got there was detention so much that I can tell you the textbook line, uh, the first two paragraphs of a textbook by heart, because that was part of detention was just writing, was just root writing down stuff from textbooks. Jesus Christ. 
and I, so what did the yeah. dean do? Like he he must have noticed this and I, saw something so, that was wrong. So at well, at this point, I had already had thirty demerits, and I was basically given the option to finish out the year. Um, and they basically would erase my disciplinary record when I was applying to other schools. So that I finished, I, I wasn't welcome back at Kellenberg, but I wouldn't be officially expelled. Because a lot of the Catholic schools are uh, interconnected in some way. Yeah. And so if you get expelled from one, you kind of can't go to another one. Um, so that's what they did for me. So during that year, did you ever go to your uh, your grandparents and be like, "Hey, I, I I'm struggling here." Like they just that? thought, well, I was the I was the third one to go to Kellenberg, and Corey and Adam excelled there. Corey was a jock who was really good at maths, math and sciences, and uh, you know, Adam was the theater kid that everybody liked and did Key Club. Um, so when I was struggling, they're just like, "It's your fault. Like you're not trying to adjust." It literally wasn't until we had the meeting with the school dean that it like opened my parents' eyes because the dean of Latin school boys, which is the name of the middle school, um, because it's a middle school and a high school, um, would always paint it as like, I'm this huge problem child. Like I'm just constantly getting to fights, you know, I'm just talking back to teachers, um, yeah, it like I I didn't have anger problems until Kellenberg. Uh, I still have a lot of things I work through from that year. Yeah, well, I mean that's like an entire year of like trauma that happened to you, where you were literally isolated and kind of made to be completely on your own as a, a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, so that's insane that you had to go through that i'm so sorry so what happened after the year like you obviously you're transferring where did you transfer to uh i went to a small catholic school in old westbury uh called old westbury school of the holy child uh this was a very upper class school like i had so uh for those of you who don't know anything about old westbury new york old westbury new york is like old money uh like on my bus ride to school i'm driving past mansions um a lot of the kids in my school uh, fell into two categories, kids who either parents worked there so they could afford to go there or kids like me who uh, had some form of financial aid um, or uh, kids who were wealthy enough. My graduating class for eighth grade was eight kids. That's how select and small the school is. So how did you get uh, in then? You mentioned financial aid. What do you mean by financial uh, aid? Partially. So because my, because, so I was listed as a dependent still through my father. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always qualified for financial aid for a lot of these private schools. Okay. Because okay. my dad was not in a good financial place. So, and at times was on disability. So uh, I got into old Westbury one because I aced their test. All private schools on Long Island have some form of uh, entrance yeah. exam. Uh, and uh, for the Catholic schools, especially for high school, there is a standard. You basically take like an SAT to get in. And based on your score, it tells you which of the Catholic schools you can go to. You cannot just like go to Kellenberg yeah. or go to, you know, Sacred Heart. You have to pat, You have to do well enough on the exam. It's kind of like the way Japanese schools work. So like you get a certain score and that sort of 
tells a Catholic school whether or not they want you or not. Okay. Uh, I got uh, a very high mark on the Holy Child uh, entrance test. Wow. So uh, that, that's incredible considering all the stuff that had happened to you beforehand still. Like all of these things where you're isolating, you're still able I'm still to not pick dumb. up. Yeah, you're, but you're, the fact that you're still taking time to learn things, right? Like, because it still does uh, take... I wasn't, though. I didn't... So, um, uh, my school is a regent school. Kellenberg yeah. was. Um, and so was the next school. Uh, Holy Child. Uh, I didn't learn any math uh, all through Kellenberg that whole year. I got by on my ability to pay attention to the class and my ability to cheat. Huh. Um, like I finished that year of a C minus in math. Wow. So how, how did you uh, also how did... the fact that my math teacher went to school with my brother and I think took pity on me. Oh, I mean, gotta take what you can get. Um, yeah. Kind of looking at the SAT then, how'd you do on math then? Were you still good at math and you just didn't try? No, I'm terrible at math. Um, I wasn't originally, mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't connect because I was struggling so hard in school personally. I had a very hard time, obviously, focusing in class or mm -hmm. grasping concepts. Yeah. So like English, history, science, that was fine because like that's basically just building upon shit you already learned. Yeah. And I was always very good at writing. Uh, so English was never really a problem. Like. I would do terrible in class, but then I'd have to do an essay and my teacher would be like, where the fuck is the student the other, like Monday through Friday? Um, my science teacher was, my science teacher was the only one that really got through to me. Um, and my history teacher was my uh, dean of Latin school boys. So that was a really difficult class to be in. Yeah. Um, and then religion class, which I've always found an interest in religion. And that's where half of my handle comes from. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I skated by the next year in eighth grade by cheating, uh, mostly. Uh, I didn't learn any math until I got to high school. Like, sick, like actually paid attention in class, wow. grasped concepts. Uh, so for two years, psh, nothing. Just no, no mental connection. Uh, to answer your question on the SATs, um, I was mostly carried by my writing and verbal score. So I got an 800 on verb on writing and I got a 740 on verbal. So my math score didn't matter. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to school for English and journalism. So my math score legitimate, I think I got like a 630 at on two tries. Like I literally the second time I took, cause when I first took the SAT, I didn't have any, uh, trig and functions knowledge which is a third of the math SAT. And I didn't take any classes for the SAT because I'm an arrogant asshole. Um, so <laughs> so um, I got like a 510 the first time. And my parents were like, you know, maybe you should try again. I was like, sure, why not? And, you know, I just having the two months like the month and a half of trig and functions yeah. raised my score, you know, a hundred points because, you know, I actually knew the subject matter. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't do any of the other parts of the test because I didn't feel like doing it again. 
Oh, okay. my scores were already so high, right? I already yeah. had an, what more am I going to get on the writing score when I already yeah. got an 800? And like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to try to get a perfect score on the verbal. I already got a 760. I'm good. Okay. I'll need those other 40 points. We're, we're fine. Okay. So you leave middle school and you go into high school. Did it get better for you? Not really. Um, I went from one middle school, one small middle school to like a fairly small high school. I mean, I had friend, I, I had more people that were closer to being called friends, but I went to private school, right? Like my school was, so it, that means that like, no, it's not like a district, right? So it's yeah. not like, you know, all my friends live a couple blocks or walking distance from me. Uh, some of my closest friends were people who were, you know, pretty far from me. And so making plans with them is really hard. Yeah. Um, it was better and then I learned more ways to express myself. Uh, like I did soccer and I was quite good at that. Uh, I was in select choir and choir. Um, I was in theater. Um, I was in advanced lit. Like things were fine, but I'm not going to be like, oh man, high school was great. Like yeah. school wasn't good for me anymore. Like, I just didn't have connection points anymore. I didn't know how to relate to other kids. Um, I didn't trust people at all. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, kind of looking at that, you mentioned that you were also depressed. Did you ever like go into therapy or see anyone for that uh, early on? Or did your parents ever try to get you into that? Um, so I did do therapy for a bit. Um, and uh my i didn't like my uh so my first psychiatrist um i didn't particularly like Mm -hmm. um my parents weren't i was very difficult for my parents um and so um, it was, there was a lot of things that they didn't understand. Uh, and so my psychiatrist was more of an avenue for my parents to solve the problem them, without them having to do it. Uh, and my psychiatrist didn't really treat me with an open mind. Um, and so... It wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a therapist for some of high school, but once again, it wasn't getting the the end results that my parents wanted me to get out of seeing a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually they, even though it was very good for me to see my therapist um, for what I needed out of a mental health professional, Uh, my parents had me stop seeing my therapist because it wasn't getting them the end results that they wanted. Um, so that's awful. That's very sad. Um, kind I wanted to ask you about this and I, if I bring this up and this comes across wrong, correct me, please. Um, you're a huge advocate for like trans rights and rights of people in general. And you even mentioned earlier that you would write out the name Chris and that is not your name anymore. It's Amanda. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you start to notice, um, that you didn't want to be called Chris anymore and you wanted to be called something else? Like when did that start to kind of come up for you? Um, so age gap, um, not with you, but your listeners. Um, 
there was no so like i knew from like a very early age that i didn't feel right with my body um but it wasn't until like fourth or fifth grade when we had our late night health class but what i mean by that is that they they had us come in uh after hours and the boy all of the boys from both from both classes were in one part of the school building and all the girls and they kind of like went over a bunch of stuff um i didn't know that girls had a different sex part mm-hmm. until like fifth grade uh, which probably sounds really dumb now that I say it out loud, but like I didn't have female siblings. Uh, that wasn't really a thing that I thought about. Because hello, I'm I'm in fifth grade. Um, yeah. uh, remember, the internet was still a relatively new thing, so it's not like I, porn sites were a thing that I was surfing. Um, so uh, it wasn't until like fifth grade that I knew anything about you know body difference, right? Uh, and like an actual, this is spelled out for you. Maybe I had some like cognitive understanding that like girls were different, but like, I didn't know, no, until fifth grade. Um, I didn't know what being trans was until. So I kind of knew what being trans was because my brother, Adam, um, we watched Hedwig and the Angry Inch together. I've actually never uh, seen that. Uh, real quick, it's a rock opera about a transsexual who only got a sex change as a, as a young adult to go to America from, from, uh, from Eastern Germany, um, so that, uh, they could go to America with a, uh, as the bride of a U.S. Army officer, um, there's there's a whole lot more, but that's 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 enough of the premise that fits for what I need, right? Um, it's also where the other half of my handle comes from. Sage comes from my interest in theology, and Gnosis comes from a character in uh, Hedwig named Tommy Gnosis. Uh, Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. Uh, more on that later. Um, so between that and seeing Rent at a young age, uh, I had some base understanding that like there could be some form of gender variance. Uh, so Angel and Rent is my under, is like my introduction. That and like RuPaul is my introduction into gender variants. Hedwig is my introduction into like, oh, you can change your sex parts. Um, I didn't know the word trans until uh, I went to a summer camp between eighth and ninth grade where I met my first gay friend. Uh, and uh, like most naive people, uh, when you meet your first gay per- friend, you ask them all the gay questions ever. Uh, and I was like, hey, so I don't feel like a boy. Uh, and I don't think that way because I'm uh, like, because like I'm gay, I feel that like on a physical, uh, like mental level. Uh, and I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, oh, that means you're trans. And I was like, what words? Uh, and like, I did as much research as I could, but uh, this was before Google and you had to ask Jeeves um, and ask Jeeves was not a very good search engine. And so sometimes you would get shemale porn. It was a very awkward time. Um, I didn't really start thinking about changing my name probably until end of high school. Uh, And that's because the internet had somewhat caught up with my uh, need for knowledge. Because it's not like I could go to like a library. Like there weren't many books on like transness, uh, you know, in 2005. Um, So, yeah. Uh, always knew, didn't have a word for it until I was like 
15. Didn't know enough about it until I was like 19. So was that a struggle for you then? Like, was because I mean, especially like, at least when I was younger, and I imagine even more so when you were younger, even being like gay was something that people would, they were mean. They were real, like, at least where I was at, they were really mean. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen my like glow up pictures. So like pictures of me in high school versus like a picture of me now. I have. Um, uh, I... So it wasn't until I started doing drag for Halloween that people figured it like knew anything about my transness. And even then I wasn't out as trans to people. People just yeah. knew that like sometime that like every Halloween I did like a drag costume. Um, and very, very few. I only told a very select few people that I wanted to be a girl. Um, so no one knew. Um, and it was difficult for me in so much that I couldn't. Uh, you know, we don't, I don't know if this was like a term that I knew when I was like, when I was in high school, but because I couldn't live my truth. Right. Yeah. Uh, people just straight up didn't know. And I didn't really put too, I like, there wasn't too much knowledge towards that. Um, right. I was on the sports team. Uh, you know, I wasn't effeminate really in any way. Um, and any mild effeminateness, uh, was attributed to the fact that I was like also kind of a theater kid. And I was just a very expressive person. Like I, I was, you know, one of the school's like known poets. So like nothing about any of my like slightly effeminate behavior, which there wasn't a whole lot, um, rose any sort of red flags or anything for people. And I'm also like, I've been five, nine for most of my life, uh, from like eighth grade, probably like now, um, and I've always weighed at least 200 pounds since like sixth grade. So um, there's a lot of power in being five, nine and 220 pounds that people don't, even if people want to fuck with you, they yeah. tend not to. And I was uh, a fullback in soccer. Uh, so people saw what I could do on the pitch while playing legally. So that was enough information that if anybody even got a thought in their head, they knew better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. That's so. been true for like most of my life. Uh, once I started putting, I mean, like I, I put on weight for a lot of reasons, but uh, being five, nine and weighing two now weighing 280, but most, but for most of my life weighing like close to two fifty, uh, that's like a very good natural deterrent from people fucking with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that I I wouldn't fuck with someone who was like, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah. That's just like that's just like a factual thing. I think a lot of my uh, I mean, it's not like people haven't messed with me physically yeah. as an adult or anything, but like being the size that I am is a good enough natural deterrent uh, for most of my life. So yeah, kind of looking at that, did you struggle with that not living your true self, or did that not really be like was that not really an issue? It wasn't you? really an option. Okay. Right. So like, it, just because the was knowledge wasn't out there. No, I mean like, like um, My parents kind of knew a bit about my transness because I used to try on my mom's underwear and I would try on her clothes because I had curiosity. Yeah. Um, 
and like it was made very clear to me uh that people like me weren't accepted or tolerated um so um i i knew it wasn't an option right i knew as long as i lived at home being being whoever i wanted to be or was meant to be whatever language makes more sense uh wasn't an option so um it just was what it was so kind of looking at you're you're getting older you're going through high school um did school get easier for you as far as like your adhd was that something that you got more under control i never struggled with it i i don't i mean i struggle with it a bit in my adult life uh high school school up until college was really i mean college was fine uh, but school is really easy for me through high school because it's regimented, right? You, yeah. you go to a certain class at a certain time. Um, you you have clearly set things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So school wasn't really a challenge for me. Um, the only reason I wasn't valedictorian is because I didn't care. Yeah. yeah. Where, where, where do you think that came from, that idea, like not caring about school? Is there any reason for it, you think? Or was you just being, because I know that like I didn't really care either. Seventh grade. Like I said, literally, like when I say I, 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 I do not, um, I'm not using hyperbole when I say that the Christopher that finished at Schubert Elementary School and left Kellenberg could not be more different people. Yeah. Like, could not. Um, and so by the time I got to high school, I just, and like, I didn't know math, right? Um, like, I mean, I knew addition, multiplication, subtraction, right? Yeah. But like, I, I didn't know algebra. You're supposed to know algebra by high school. I didn't. I didn't know geometry by high school. I just didn't. Um, and because I went to a region, I went from a region school to a non-region school, they assumed that I knew algebra. So I started in geometry and it took them five, it took them four and a half weeks of me struggling in geometry to realize I knew zero algebra. Yeah. What happened then? Did they give you tutoring? Is that what happened? No, they put me in the slow track. So math has a math and English at my high school had a fast, had a standard track and a slow track. Um, and they put me in the slow track for math. Um, basically, uh, we had like our first parent teacher conference and they were just kind of like, Chris doesn't know math. Like, what happened? And my parents kind of looked at me, and I was like, Kellenberg sucked. And that was, like, essentially enough of an answer. Um, And um, they were like, well, like, he needs to learn algebra. Uh, We can't just, like, have him fail geometry because he doesn't know the root of geometry. So uh, I got put on slow track. Okay. So you're going through high school, you're getting towards the, the end of high school. And this is something that I kind of struggled with is I was like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck I want to do. Like, I have no idea. Did you, did you have any idea what you wanted to do with your life? Like coming towards the end of that? Uh, so I really wanted to go to Ithaca, uh, because Ithaca had one of, has one of the best, uh, media, well, ju- media as in like journalism, communications, yeah. uh, schools in the country. Um, they also had gender neutral housing. Uh, 
which was a big deal for me that I found out at uh, when I, so I went to, so I don't know how Ithaca got in my head. I think it's because I knew that, so they have something called the new school um, and that's their communications media uh, college, right? You know, like schools have like, they're like the school of business. The new school is their media college. Um, And so I like said to my dad, like, Hey, I really want to go check out the school. We like flew out. Uh, Cause it's quite a drive from Long Island. So we like flew to somewhere and then like drove the like other hour or so. Um, and I loved how big the campus was. I love that it was super far from home. I love that. Uh, and then I was like loving everything about everything. And then my parents were like, you're not going to a school that far away. Um, so uh, I went to NYIT for computer graphics because I didn't understand that computer graphics, you still needed a, a, like you still needed to know traditional art. I didn't know anything about traditional art. I knew about like web design and like photo, like a little bit of Photoshop at the time. And yeah. so I was like, oh man, that's what I want to do. And then I found out when I got to NYIT that you needed to know art. Um, and uh, I did not. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I then fucked off to England for a bit, came back, and uh, wait, 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 wait. We got to we got to talk about the fucking off to England a bit. Like, what happened there? Uh, so, um, hmm, how do I get how do I get to this part of the story? Um, so I was at NYIT. So I guess I should rewind a bit. Uh, the reason I was I constantly like tiptoe around talking about uh mental health uh is at one point my parents took me to court for an order of protection um i've never physically assaulted my parents i never made any physical threats against them uh sometimes i would get really mad and i would clench my fists or i would yell during an argument but i never was physically violent um there was uh so my parents took me to court for an order of protection. And um, what came out of that was me having to go to anger management classes. Um, And that, you know, was, that was the summer leading up to college. Um, And so a problem for me was, um, I still had to go to these classes while I was at my college on Long Island. and I was dealing with a lot of transphobia at my first school. Uh, I had some pretty homophobic and transphobic roommates. And uh, I also, like, didn't go to some classes because NYIT told me that I, like, didn't do well enough in their own internal English test. So I was in, like, a pretty remedial english class mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let me transfer out of it despite my scores like my sat scores yeah um so uh i like had a zero in one class i like wasn't doing well in any of my art classes because i don't know it fucking anything about art and i just didn't like nyit uh and so i uh yeah fucked off to england uh, because I had some friends who were at NYIT who were from England, and uh, I went to England for it. Well, I went to community college for a bit, realized that that was super boring, and then I fucked off to England for a few months, and then I came back and went to Albany for school. 
Okay. So what, what was England like? Was it fun? Did you enjoy yourself? Uh, I, I traveled a lot. Um, I illegally lived in a flat because um, I you know didn't have the proper visa for that type of stuff. And yep. Uh, yep. yeah, it was good that it, it gave me somewhat of a mental reset. Uh, I, like I said, for the most part, from like seventh grade forward, I just kind of was like doing what I had to to survive. And England kind of gave me some time to just do stuff and survival wasn't uh, a priority. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so much yeah. that like, I didn't feel like I was constantly, you get to a, when, when you have the year that I had in seventh grade, you just assume that everybody's your enemy. That like everybody's out to hurt you is out to get you. Uh, you know, my parents didn't think I was doing the right thing. My siblings thought I was a problem. My teachers thought I was a problem. All the kids, right? So you just, like, it took towards the end of high school to, like, somewhat get out of that mode. And then, like, I went to a school that was, like, super transphobic and homophobic to me. So I was like, well, shit. Like, guess guess we, we're at it again. Um, so it gave me time to, like, mentally reset and not just, like, assume that everything is bad always mm -hmm. so i imagine that after your parent or your parents took you to court did that end functionally the relationship with them or at least for a while or forever um you know what the so like the super weird thing about it is um that Like I said, you you just assume that everything you're doing is wrong, right? Because yeah. if everything you were doing wasn't wrong, right, then you wouldn't be in any of the problems that you're in. So even though I knew cognitively that I didn't do anything to warrant my parents taking out an order of protection against me, yeah, um, emotionally. I just was like, well, it has to be my fault, though. So I'm probably way more chill about it than I should be. That's because, like, if it was me, that would probably be like, I already don't talk to my mom that often because of some of the stuff that happened. Like, I have very, like, I didn't talk to her for a long time. And then I put some really, like, some very stringent boundaries on our relationship to, like, protect myself. Um, and she was just a drug addict who like a, a, abused me and had an abusive stepdad, right? Like that's, that was the extent of that. And I left and I didn't have to deal with it for a while, but I, I put some pretty strong boundaries on it because of that. And so like, if I, if she like tried to do it, like, I, I don't know if I would talk to her ever after that. Like, but I'm also kind of, I can be very emotional sometimes and I can be very, okay, if you do this and you go across this line, that's it with us. Um, you, you kind of have to understand um, family is different to an yeah. extent between African-American families and Caucasian families. Um, it's probably, and that's just in my lived experience and the lived experience of people I know. Um, there's shit that my white friends get away with that like I could never even, I, like they, that, that like type of thought process or behavior just doesn't cross your mind. When, when you're an African-American. Um, 
So it takes a while for you to realize that like what your parents do isn't absolute and correct. Um, like I still talk to my dad once a week and he told me that people, uh, he told me in high school that like people don't love flaming faggots. So like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, did, did, did that, did that opinion change over time with him? Not I mean, my dad's trying to understand the whole trans thing. Um, Cause like, like that, like someone trying and trying to improve themselves. I think that that would be the point where I'd be like, okay, well we can work with this. I mean, but there's trying and there's trying. It's fair. That's fair. Right. They're okay. saying you're trying and making the very easy efforts. And then there's actually trying, but like, is what it is right like i'm I'm 32 now so uh like i understand and i like work in diversity training and i uh you know i'm a safe space coordinator and i i, I do a lot of talks on inclusivity right so like i i know that like you that like at a certain point you have to like set healthy expectations of what you get out of yeah. your biological family versus what you get out of your chosen family yeah so like it's it, it it's kind of whatever and i don't mean that to be dismissive of like your questions or to like dodge anything but it's sort of just like i'm at a point where i i put in enough energy into my family that because like they put i i reciprocate whatever energy my parent like my family puts into me so like my uncle adam puts in a lot of energy into me so i put a lot of energy into him Corey, Corey was really busy uh, and, you know, I, for the longest time, thought Corey didn't like me. Um, and, uh, you know, Corey kind of set me straight on that. Uh, so, um, you know, Corey's really busy and Corey, you know, is living his own life. He's, you know, he's got a fiance. He's starting a business. So, like, I understand. Also, we didn't grow up with each other, right? Like, Corey yeah. was out of high school while I was in elementary school. Right? So, like, there's, it. I think a lot of the the sort of, I don't want to say tension, but I think part of our relationship comes from that, right? So, you know, Corey, I put as much, I, I still put the same amount of energy Corey puts into me, but it's it's not in the same way that I do with my dad because yeah. the, the way that it is with Corey, I understand that it's like, Corey's really busy. So we play phone tag a lot. And sometimes when I'm out in California, we try to make plans and it just doesn't happen. But I yeah. know it's not because Corey doesn't want to hang out or Corey yeah. doesn't want to like be involved. It's just that like, Corey's got his own life. Corey's like yeah. 40, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So like, you've, it seems like you've come to at least a point of acceptance with yourself about, well, this is the relationship I'm going to have and like yeah. some level of acceptance, which I think is fine. Yeah, I think that's so like, like there's that's, nothing. that's kind of like how I feel about the situation with my, with like my, my grandfather. It's like mm-hmm. it, it, that and it's like at odds with like my philosophy as a Buddhist. Like I'm just not going to put too much stock in the past. Yeah. And I'm not going to worry too much about like, I just like, it doesn't make sense to me to like hash out all of these feelings I may have. Um, because like, it doesn't change anything. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say, I, I, like I've already put more business on the street as my family says, than like publicly than I've ever done before. Yeah. So, um, I just, right. Yeah. Like I carefully chose my words leading yeah. up 
than now. So I'm just, it's just like, there's, there's no, I don't see a lot of benefit. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So kind of looking on that, right? Like you, you come back from England. Okay. Do you re-enroll into Albany? So I was never at Albany to start. I was at NYIT, New York Institute of Technology, no. the, the Long Island campus. Um, basically, Albany was the only school that was still going to give me um, full financial aid. Uh, so I was like, yo, let's go to Albany. Okay. How'd that there, was like no real, there was like no real thought process. I, so there's something called the SUNY app when you're applying to colleges and you just fill out one application and you pay like a little bit for each SUNY school you apply to in the SUNY app, you pay like an additional like $10, but okay. it's cheaper, right? So you know like how there's like the common app and that's like, you know, a bunch of schools. So yeah. there's a SUNY app, right? And that's State University of New York. Um, and so I just applied to a bunch of SUNYs in the SUNY app because you're supposed to, because it's a safe thing to do. And okay. then Albany was the only school that was still going to give me full um, financial aid after deferring them. So... I was like, all right, guess I'm going to Albany. So did you know what you wanted to do at Albany? Did you figure out uh, some semblance or was like it English. like, fuck it? Uh, so I knew that they had a journalism school and I knew that they had a pretty decent English program. So I was like, all right, go there for English. We'll figure shit out as we go along. How did it go figuring shit out as you went along? Uh, I mean, so for those of you who saw my tweet where it's, you know, like five facts about you, uh, I had like a mental breakdown my my uh, fifth year of school and I was out of money so I didn't finish my degree, but it had nothing to do with the school per se, mm-hmm. right? Like school was fine, college is fine. I made friends. I'm still friends with a lot of people from college. Um, you know, I wouldn't have learned as much about myself as I do now. I wouldn't have you know gone to a. Uh, accept a lot of my Jewish heritage like school for the most for I would say like 72% of Albany was fine mm-hmm. so um, at what point did you change fine, your- like fine as in like five out of ten fine as in just like yeah net positive yeah net positive uh when did you change your name um so it started at NYIT uh the <laughs> first name I went by was Kimberly uh because I wanted to keep my first initial because I spell Christopher K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R. It's the German spelling. My mom is uh, German. Uh, so it's Christoph-er. Um, and then I had such a negative coming out experience that I didn't keep it. Um, I then went by Alexandra because it means protector of people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so the, so the way that the next name came about was I was like, you know what, maybe I should let other people kind of like pick my name so i had like two i was like on the fence about like two like one to three names and so i kind of just like tried them out with a bunch of friends and alexandra was the one that like stuck um and so i wanted people to either call me alexandra or alexi Mm -hmm. um i didn't want to be called alex because i felt it was too masculine um and i also didn't know any female alexes growing up i knew one and she didn't stay at my elementary school the full time i think she was there for like two years and then she moved um, so, uh, I ran into this issue where people would only call me, a lot of people would call me Alex, um, and use he, him pronouns. And so when I had to do a summer, when I took summer classes to fix my GPA, uh, I did like a social experiment. So I yeah. picked a different yeah. name that didn't have a masculine, um, you know, shorthand. 
or a masculine equivalent without like vehemently trying to do something different. Right. Uh, and Amanda doesn't really have a real male equivalent. Like some people will call me Adam, which is really funny because it's my uncle's name, but it's also like, that's like the closest they can like mentally get. Uh, so like I said, you would have to go out of your way to call yeah. me something. Um, and so uh, the social experiment proved to be mostly correct. Uh, in so much that people just didn't pronoun me as much because like linguistically they would say Amanda and then further along in the sentence, like their linguistic brain would sort of be like, well, I can't say he, cause there's no such thing as a male Amanda. Yeah. Uh, so they would just say Amanda again. Like a that lot of is... times people would just use my first name a lot. Uh-huh. Um, especially in summer classes where you don't really get to know your classmates too much because you're, you only have them in your class for four weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I was like, all right, sticking with Amanda. And that's, it fits my, one of my Hebrew names because uh, one of my Hebrew names is Ahava. It's here in my dope-ass bomber jacket. Uh, and Ahava means love and Amanda means uh, deserving to be loved. So when did you uh, find out about your Jewish heritage? Like, is that something that was... In that period of time that I was like connecting with my mom on Facebook when my her and my dad got back together. So is your your mom's side Jewish then? or is your... Yeah, my okay. mom's side is Jewish. Okay, and so how do you find out your your Hebrew names and stuff like that? I asked her. Uh, well, I grew up on Long Island. Uh, I grew up in the Jewish part of Long Island, um, so I knew that like Hebrew names were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my confirmation name is James. Uh, so, uh, but I don't like use it legally or anything. It's just I picked a saint. Uh, I don't even remember why I picked James. Oh no, Joseph. Because uh, uh, one of the Josephs is a saint of poets. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, technically, my like, if but technically my full name, if I included my confirmation name, is Christopher Tracy Joseph Stevens. I don't, but I only have a confirmation name because I had to be confirmed because I was going to Catholic school. Yeah. Right. So like, it's not legally part of my name or anything. Yeah. yeah. Um. So um, I knew about. Hebrew names, and I know that some of my Jewish friends didn't have a, a separate Hebrew name because their Hebrew name was just their name. And I knew some Jewish friends who had Hebrew names, like I had a confirmation name. Um, so I asked her, and she told me that my Hebrew name was Chaim, uh, which means life. Um, and I said, What would my Hebrew name be if you knew that you had given birth to a girl? And she had said, Ahava. So I was like, Oh, cool. So that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of looking at that and growing up. Did your relationship get better with your mom then, as she got back together really. with your dad? Um, no. I mean, I don't trust. Like I said, I, I, I base don't trust people. Yeah. Um. Not now. Now I'm just like, all right. Come at me. Uh, and sort of the like. Right. Like I, I wasn't super guarded when I met you. I wasn't like, oh, man, I don't know about yeah. this Blake. Kid. Yeah. He's asking me a lot of questions about esports. He's out to take my place. Right. Like me in college, me from like seventh grade to like like sophomore year of college. If I had met you and I was like working like same like if, if that if 2016 worlds happened in that time frame, I probably wouldn't have like talked to you, talked to you like yeah. I would have talked to you like when you were around Jacob. But, like, I wouldn't have talked to you in any sort of other setting. Because I'd be like, yo, this kid's just trying to, like, 
get information from me and then, you know, I'll never hear from him again or whatever. Um, but I'm not that, I'm not really that person anymore. Yeah. Um, but so I just, I was kind of, I was kind of like slightly adversarial. Um, like I would make her pay my cell phone bill because I was like, I, I need to know that like you're actually vested in me. Uh, and while financial support doesn't mean any, doesn't mean that you're actually vested in a person, you can, you know, you, you can hear about like trust fund kids, right. Who like their parents give them all the money in the world, but then they don't interact with them. But like, I needed, I needed to know, I, I needed her to do something right. Like talk is cheap. Uh, yeah. you know, that was like a big thing for me, uh, at that age. So I was like, I would make her pay like my cell phone bill and I would like, I like there'd be times where she would like miss a payment and I would like lose my shit. Um, which is probably not fair, but I was like, you know, you said you're going to do this thing and like, you don't have a very strong track record of, of doing what you say you're doing and now you're not doing it. Um, and there were some things that she didn't deliver on, um, that I like unfairly held against her as an adult. Um, but that was just, that was just how like fucked up my mentality was. Um, yeah. what did like, it take? I was going to ask you, what did it take to change that? Cause that's not the person that I think I ever really knew. Right. Um, like getting to meet you. What, what was the point to, to, to change, to get to this different person? I don't know. It just, I think. I actually don't really have an answer for that. Um, it just kind of stopped and not like, I don't want to say that there wasn't some effort put forward. I just think that I started to realize that the person I was was extremely toxic. Um, and that like, I just wasn't going to get anywhere in life being that person. I, I makes sense to me. Like having some level of self I, I, I think I just like started to realize that I was, uh, I was a f like even I think you I think by the time I had met you I think uh, I was making more of a concerted effort but even in 2016 I was still a fairly toxic individual um it it took a while like it's a very concerted effort uh, I still due to a lot of the stuff due to like like I said a lot of the trauma I've been through um a, a, a fair bit of my base impulses are fairly toxic uh and i just have to i just actively have to um work against them yeah yeah that makes sense so where did where did getting into like how did you transition into getting into esports right because you mentioned that you were doing content for magic the gathering um, mm -hmm. and that was kind of like your big foray into kind of getting into content and stuff, right? So what was the mm -hmm. transition like to getting into so involved in esports then? So what happened was uh, I wasn't making any money doing content. Uh, it was all just like fan sites and whatnot. Yeah. And I kind of got bit by the esports bug um, in high school, uh, in college. So I didn't know anything about esports literally until like season three worlds. Hmm. Um, I barely knew that like, the FGC as an esport was a thing. Uh, I mean, like I'd seen like uh, you know the famous Daigo Umahara uh, Justin Wong match, um, but it wasn't until like college that like someone had introduced me into like esports proper. Um, 
And uh, when I get into something, I get very into it. Um, so like that's why like I was really good at magic as I like read everything. I've you know deck theoried. I would fishbowl, which is uh, playing solitaire, but with your deck. Um, you know, I knew my deck inside and out from fist bowling, from playing as many matchups as I could. So when I got into league, um, in a big, bad way, I was, you know, following everyone on Twitter, you know, a lot of the old school people. So like Nilu and Sir Nugan, um, and, you know, you know, Richard Lewis and Thorin and like, you know, Kelsey and em- and Emily, which, I mean, I know that some those last couple of names aren't, are still around, but like, most people these days don't know who Nilu is. Most people yeah. these days don't know who Sir Nugan is. You know, these are like old school old cats, right? Um, and I was writing league stuff for some of the sites that I was writing for. Um, and uh, I, so the start of the transition into doing esports and getting paid was uh, Richard Lewis had just been kicked off of the League of Legends subreddit. Um, and I reached out to him on Twitter and was like, hey, can I interview you? I literally tweeted at him. Like, you can find the tweet. I just like literally at our Lewis reports, um, can I interview you? Mm-hmm. And he replied, yeah. And I, you know, spoke in DMs. We did an interview on Skype. I uploaded it. I got shadow banned from the, I got shadow banned from Reddit. Um, and because, uh, you know, that like, this was like the peak of the you shall not say his name on the yeah. subreddit. Like Lord fucking uh, Voldemort. They, of, of course, like they said, like, oh, it was my nine to one ratio, which I didn't fully understand as like a new content creator. Um, but I was also posting. I, I like didn't understand that part of Reddit. But like, it's very convenient that my nine to one didn't matter until I interviewed Richard Lewis. Yeah. So that was my first. That wasn't my first time posting something on the subreddit and having terrible nine to one, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it's just, huh, weird that like, I interview Richard Lewis and then my nine to one matters and I get shadow banned. Um, yeah. So um, Richard was like fairly impressed with me as an interviewer and would just like retweet my stuff and, you know, um introduced me to jacob wolf which is a really funny story i think i've told you the jacob wolf story you might have but i don't know if i remember it so tell it again all right so jacob doesn't always like when i tell the story but it's still really funny um so my my old stick at the end of my interviews no matter who it was whether it was somebody from magic from you know league of legends from esports is i'd say throw someone under the bus who do i interview next and i would try to interview that person i would try to like make it like a chain yeah um and he's like you know you this is gonna be a throwback for some people he's like you should interview either narzis uh ls or braille and who is braille jacob wolf and so literally the day after the interview like literally the day of the interview going live i get a message on skype from braille and it's jacob and he says hey uh so richard said you're going to interview me uh so when is that going to happen and i was like who the fuck is this kid (laughs) like like my out of the three names that richard had suggested well he mentioned two on the podcast and then afterwards he's like because me and richard were like shooting the shit um and i told him you know a bit about some of the stuff i'd gone through he was like you should really talk to ls he's like you two have a very like similar 
you guys have some interwovenness in like your your pasts. Um, and I think it would be a really good interview. Um, but Narzis and Jacob were the ones were the people they mentioned on the episode. And so I was like, this kid fucking messaged me out of nowhere thinking I'm going to interview him. And I'm like, I didn't even know who Jacob was. Yeah. So um, I was like, fuck off, kid. Which is funny because now we're like really good friends. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so eventually, uh, I don't know how long you've been involved with League, but do you remember when like you could take uh, – you there was like that brief snapshot where you would take smite and tp as a top laner and build cinder hulk yes yeah like i started old, I, super I, I started playing i started playing league uh season two okay so uh, you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah so um i was a top laner at the time and uh i was watching that lpl game uh that flandre did it and i was like this is some shit I am all about this. And I like with the help of Nilu and Kelsey wrote a really long like primer on like smite TP top. It's not very good. Like I, it's, I'm not super proud of it looking back, but it was really, it was really good for what I was doing at the time. Yeah. And, um, Drexen from esports heaven, Michael Lawler, um, reached out to me on Facebook because he followed some, he was Facebook friends with somebody from the website that I was writing for at the time. But I, I was so tired of people offering for me to write for free that I just assumed uh, that this was another scam offer. Uh, so I was like, yeah, whatever, man, bye. Um, and then for Worlds that year, 2015, uh, I started doing the analyst desk. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I knew that I was not the smartest at league and I knew that why the fuck would anybody listen to my podcast? So I said, what if I put the really smart people in league who have a lot of followers on Twitter on my podcast? That's like why one of the reasons was like, I, Barry knows this because I asked him when I asked him about it, he was like, why do you want me on the show? And I was like, cause you have like 4,000 Twitter followers. Barry is one of the first guests on my show, literally because he had, he was shit posting a lot about league and he had a lot of followers. Fair. Um, Fair. I had like that episode had like him and veteran on it. And it's like one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite episodes. Um, but yeah, uh, I did that for, world so i did it for quarters semis and finals and the finals episode i got scarzard to be on the show when he was still a rioter and that that episode made it to the top of the subreddit because the quote the tagline from the episode was scarzard said during the interview we should make for skt azir it should actually be coma and he'll summon um easy hoon and faker as his sand soldiers um and I was like, I was like, man, you just said the fucking tagline. It's going to be the clickbaitiest shit in the world. And I was right. Um, and uh, Slingshot Esports was starting shortly after that. Yeah. And they reached out to me uh, because I knew Chase and Walter from, uh, you know, at the time we doing rough drafts. You know, Walt Chase is now doing uh, is now at Unicorn. Um, and they reached out to me and they were like, hey, we really like the Analyst Desk podcast. Would you do that for us? Like you'd get paid. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll get paid to do a podcast. That sounds dope. I've never been paid to do fucking content in my life. 
Um, and then like a couple of weeks later, they're like, hey, do you write articles? Because we realized that launching with like podcasts is probably a really bad idea. Because they originally yeah. were going to launch the way websites do now, where they're like, we're going to do video and podcasts. And they, Joe and Vince were like really ahead of their time um, and like the way that they wanted to do a website. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, like, all right. So I did like, I would do like sparing interviews, but they paid me like $75 per. So I was um, like, shit. I was like, going from zero to $75 an article is like pretty fucking hype. And I actually could afford to pay my bills for once without having to like ask people for help. Um, so that was sick. Uh, but I was still pretty destitute back then. Mm-hmm. So what has esports kind of been for you in like the journalism cycle? Has it been something? Because like I, I, like I said, um, I think I think I said this before that, or even at the beginning of the interview, I'm kind of like very pessimistic towards uh, esports. Like, there's just a lot of things that I've seen in esports that make so me very is, sad. So esports journalism is a way for me to survive. Um, I might have opened up about this like when I ended up not getting the gig with PVP Live, um, but like, actually, no, I, I said it when I start working with Chopsky. When I start working with Chopsky and we start doing proving grounds. Um, I mean, whatever. I've already said that, like, I cheated my way through, like, most of school, um, (laughs) for math. Um, I, uh, so the only way that I was able to eat for, like, most of the start of my esports career until, like, literally 2015 was, because this is how little I was making. I mean, I was also not writing enough, but I also didn't have the option to write more. Um, I would have to, I would go to the grocery store with a backpack. I would like buy a two liter of soda for a dollar, for a dollar and 10 cents. But what I would do is I would walk around the store and just put like deli meat and stuff in my backpack. Cause I would go, cause there was a 24 hour grocery store by me. Um, and so I would just like basically shoplift a bunch of food, uh, but make sure that my backpack didn't look any fuller than it was when I got in. And then I would buy my, and then I would like shoot the shit with the cashier because uh, at the time the cashier was into like gaming and stuff. So we would just chat and it, so it would just not feel weird that I had like been in the store that long. I would just be like shooting the shit with everybody and then I would leave. Um, so like esports has always just been a way for me. So like, um, when I start talking about burnout in esports, it's because like, it's been a very long time since esports. I mean, the FGC is my life. Like I love everything about working in the FGC. There's stuff that I don't like about the FGC, but it's like, it's the same thing with like anything you love. There's not always like, there's not, yeah. it's, everything is not a hundred percent positive, right? There's no such thing as that. Um, even with my partner, I, I love them to pieces, but like, it's, there are things they do that like annoys me. So it's like 87%, which is a very acceptable percentage meet on the meter. Um, but like um it's been a very long time that making esports content has been like above, I would say even like 50%. Um, it's just I as a non-cis passing trans person of color in upstate New York, it's very hard for me to get regular jobs. Um, and so, uh, esports is literally the only way I can make, uh, up until recently, uh, esports was the only way I can make money. Yeah. Um, so I have a fairly toxic, uh, internal relationship with esports. Um, 
and I've been fucked over a lot by some esports companies. Um, one of them doesn't exist. Well, two of them don't exist. So I'll say whatever the fuck I want about them. Um, but like, actually, I'll say whatever the fuck I want. Period. So like, one. Uh, so at the start, uh, shortly after I was working at Slingshot, uh, Ryan Tang, who's another old, an old, another old school name, uh, he used to run Gold Per Ten that yeah. gamers bought, and gamers became Dot Esports, right? So uh, Ryan Tang, uh, his business partner, was made the editor in chief at um, Gamers, and he didn't want to do the job, so he kind of just ghosted Gamers, and then uh, they didn't, and so they needed an editor. I got into a phone call, I got into a Skype call with Riyadh that went like six hours, and Riyadh's in Australia, uh, and at the end of that, uh, I basically had a job as their editor in chief. Uh, I, my salary was twenty five k a year or it would have been, uh, I only was there for two months. Uh, they fought me tooth and nail literally on everything that I wanted to do. I wanted to pay people less for news briefs, but I wanted to pay premiums for features and I wanted to cut a lot of people and they were so focused on views. And I was like, look, we got to change. Like, we're not going to get good content. That's going to get a lot of good views if we're not paying well for it. Yeah. Um, they, uh, also, uh, Duncan Lewis, uh, Duncan uh, Shields uh, was one of their writers at that time, uh, and uh, Duncan had in his contract. Because I don't care about my, I don't care about my contract anymore because I haven't been there in a while. Uh, he couldn't, uh, he didn't need an editor, uh, so he could just push his stuff. And there, yeah. I'd be there'd be times that his stuff would get pushed, and I'd read it, and I'd be like, "This needs like this needs to be fixed, like from a grammar syntax level." And um, at one point, I was like, because I had no way of contacting Thorin. I, well, I actually refused to call him Thorin. Uh, There's no way for me to contact Duncan. So I tweeted at him. And he was like, why are you contacting me? He's like, even though I was the editor-in-chief of the site he was writing at, uh, he's like, talk to Riyadh. And I'm like, that's not, like, viable. This motherfucker's in Australia. But eventually, I woke up one morning. um, And I woke up while I was in, uh, because I was in Colorado, because me and Colin Neimer, um, CD Mangaka, he's no longer really involved in esports. He just does, uh, he just plays Dragon Ball semi professionally. Um, we're going to drive down to Evo uh, to cover it. He was going to cover mm-hmm. it for Slingshot, and I was covering it for, at the time, gamers. Um, and I woke up one morning, my email was getting pushed back. I wasn't, I wasn't able to log into the email, and I was like, the fuck? And I basically got let go. Um, wow. Uh, because they said that I, so there were some writers there that didn't like me because I was very harsh on them because I didn't think that they were doing a good job. Um, and so uh, they basically told management that I wasn't available. And uh, yeah, they let me go. Funny story about not being available. Uh, Lurpus, I don't know if he still does CSGO or not. Uh, Lurpus was also one of our writers. Uh, Lurpus, I took a week off because my dad got remarried. My grandfather got remarried uh, during the summer of 2016. <laughs> and Lurpus knew that, but still contacted me about his article the night before my dad's wedding. And I still worked on it. Yeah. But, you know, I was yeah. not available for the writers and I didn't really do my job. But sure, whatever, sure. Um, so, uh, Riyadh, fuck you. Um, you didn't give me my full severance. Uh, eat a dick. Um, PVP live. 
they took me on for a two-week trial period um, where depending on how I did, they I would uh, get hired. And then after that trial period, I got paid $1,000 for that two weeks. But I wrote way more than $1,000 worth of articles. Mm-hmm. I wrote something like 14, 15. I wrote, yeah, I wrote like 15 articles, uh, which, you know, is less what they were paying their freelancers yeah. per article. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, I got told that the board of directors uh, didn't appro- uh, wasn't going to approve an additional writer, which means that I trialed for a position that didn't exist. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Yeah, so I wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, my trial didn't go well enough, and they went with another writer. Yeah. Uh my trial didn't matter because at the end of the day, they hadn't gotten approval from the board of directors to uh, have a new writer. Yeah. Yeah, that seems shady as fuck. Yeah. So, you know what, PvP Live, you got what you deserved. Um, Upcomer. Boy, oh boy, Upcomer. The most recent dumpster fire of my esports career. I got fired by Upcomer twice. Um, So I was brought on by Aaron McCunis. uh, Good guy. Bless your heart. Um, he, uh, He brought me on. And then shortly... So, man, this was all (laughs) my summer this year uh, really tried to be as bad as seventh grade. Um, So uh, I'm at my local pride parade when I get a message in discord from Aaron that he's leaving Upcomer um, because the writing is on the walls that they're going to let him go. Uh, and he's doing, he was leaving in an attempt to keep, to make sure that like whatever heat they wanted to give the content department, it would all fall on him and the yeah. content department would be left alone. Um, and then three days later, uh, we refer to it colloquially, uh, as the upcover crew as the snap, because we basically found out that all of our contracts had been terminated and that we were going to have to, uh, reapply for our content positions. Okay. So I was rehired. Um, I did two articles before I flew out to Riff Rivals. Uh, I did a bunch of Riff Rivals content for them, all made to the front page of the Reddit. Um, And then a day after I got home from Riff Rivals, I was let go. Wow. For, For what? What was the reason that they gave you one? to save money they literally told me in my severance um and my firing that oh man we're gonna save 14 like they they gave me like an actual number of like how much money they were saving from letting me go as if that was gonna make me feel yeah better wow yeah that doesn't uh, like i've like journalism in esports terrifies me because unless you're disney Unless so you're Disney, telling I... you. So, 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 folks, uh, behind the scenes, Blake has expressed to me how he wants to do esports content for a living, but also write for websites. And I keep telling him not to do it, 
And he keeps being like, no, 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 it might work out. I'm glad that you have finally figured out that that's like no, not I, I knew, okay, I, I never knew that, <laughs> right, no, I knew writing for websites would never work. I, I kind of knew that. Like, as soon as, like, I had talked to you and I had talked to a couple of other, and I was like, I, and I watched all these companies fold, and I was like, there's no money. Like, that's just, like, business, there's no money. But if I can make popular, like, content somewhere else, because yeah. I, I was looking at, like, that was my idea. It's like, well, maybe I can generate sponsorships or something like that through, like, solo. I had no faith in, like, my faith in companies is pretty fucking bad. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, that's my quick uh, whatever bridges I'm going to burn, I'm going to burn moment where uh, I call out the, the people that fucked me. Uh, I, man, yeah. Uh, I was going to name another name, uh, but that person probably already knows how I feel about them, so I don't need to... That's fine. I don't need to... The bridge doesn't even exist for me to burn it anymore because I yeah. think I already burned it, so... That's fair. Uh, do you think that it's gonna get like? Why do you keep no. going into esports? Okay, well you answer both of those questions. Uh, um, why? Why so do you want to stay in esports? Why? Why? why better? No. Um, uh, okay. Good. So the well. problem is that uh, esports journalism is still, uh, I think, very related to a lot of the other nerd journalism, mm -hmm. and so they think that it's like a hobby. Um. And so they're pretty okay with paying poorly because they're like, yeah. oh man, this person's like doing it as a hobby or, you know, a lot of people in journalism and esports journalism aren't trained journalists, which doesn't really fucking matter or not. Uh, some of the best writers I know in esports didn't go to school for journalism. Like Jacob Wolf didn't go to school yeah. for journalism. Dion didn't go to school for journalism. Emily, no journalism. Liz Richardson, probably one of the best Overwatch writers right now. That isn't like Yiska or um, Volumel. Uh, didn't go to school for journalism. I don't think Yiska and Volomir went nope. to school for journalism either. Um, so, like, a lot of the people that, like, people tout as, like, the best... So, like, literally the only people I know who go to school, who went to school for journalism who do esports content is, off the top of my head, and I know for a fact, 100% confirmed, told to me, is Daniel Rosen from The Score. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't write content right now. He, like, I mean, I guess they do because they write the scripts, right? So Daniel Rosen at the Score Esports and Richard Lewis. What about Vince? Oh, sharks, sharks. Uh, well, he's he's the editor of uh. He used to write Double that. Tap. Yeah, he he used to. I mean, I, I love Vince, I I, so I'm not I, gonna say anything. Yeah. Uh, but like, uh, shocks, shocks. Ifa okay. also went to school for journalism. I think those are the only people that I can a hundred percent like. If anyone tried to challenge me, I'd be like, all right, give me that free money. Uh, there's some other people that I think went to school for journalism, but I'm not 100% sure. So, like, whatever. Going to, having a background in journalism doesn't really matter. But, mm -hmm. like, a lot of these sites, they don't – they intrinsically, I don't think, view writing as anything more than a hobby. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of these sites – and when I say a lot of these sites, I mean a lot of these sites don't really pay very well looking at you action esports and I'm looking at you dot esports for paying $25 per f fucking article should not be paying people $25 for 1600 words. Fuck off. Um, so, uh, I've been at this since 2015. I haven't seen the rates rise and the sites that do pay very well end up not existing. Slingshot paid really well, had to shutter. Um, you know, Upcomer was paying pretty well, shuttered. Um, you know, um, every site that I know that pays, like, an actual, like, 
real amount that isn't like Kotaku or Polygon. Um, but you know, they don't really have esports verticals anymore. They just do some esports content. Even the people who are running the esports verticals there aren't doing esports content for them yeah. really anymore, right? Like Cass, Sandra Marshall and Nicole Carpenter, they do an esports article here or there. They now just do games writing there, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the Rift Herald, I think, is still a thing. Um, so that, I guess, but that's not even esports content in so much as that it's league content, yeah. right? So there isn't a lot of outlets that pay good money for freelancers and the ones that do they don't like you couldn't you couldn't make a living as a freelancer for them because they don't solicit enough right espn pays their freelancers very well at like a very good industry standard you're not uh unless you've like become one of their like freelancer freelancers like michael yim um i don't think you could like make a living the way that you could at like slingshot like slingshot you could be a slingshot freelancer and like have a pretty good income yeah. Where all you did was write for Slingshot. Yeah. Um, you can't do that anymore. And I don't think it's ever going to get better because uh, esports is a bubble. And I don't think it's ever going to pop in a way that like the dot-com bubble, right? So it's not like, uh, you know, the dot-com bubble uh, was awful in the sense that like at one point everybody was making fat checks, making a website and turning it over. And then you weren't. And it was impossible to make any money making a website. Yeah. Right. I don't think that that's going to happen to esports. I don't think esports is going to pop in the sense where like, all right, we're all poverty level. Goodbye, fat checks. Goodbye. I don't think that's going to happen. There's too much. There's too much uh, propped infrastructure mm-hmm. for it to just completely collapse. Yeah. Uh, we're not going back to the dark ages. Right. Like, we're, you know, we're not going to go to a point, you know, where worlds is held at riots basement. Yeah. Right. No, it's probably like, not. Like We're not. That's not going to happen. Well, like, I mean, ga- game, game companies make money. Like, if anyone in the esports industry right now is, like, rolling in the dough, it's game companies, right? Like, your right. riots, so your blizzards, so. So, what what could, what'll basically probably happen is, uh, like, Riot Games might have to start paying player salaries again or something. But, like, you're not, you're not going to, it's not just going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah. And I think that most of people that say that the esports bubble is going to pop, I don't think that any of them think that of like, it's going to go away. I think they all think the same way I do, where it's just like, things are going to get really unhealthy. Um, but the the thing is that like, we don't make, um, no esports sites makes their company money. Yeah. Like, I don't know officially what's going on at the score, but I know that the score, like regular, makes a lot of money, and so they can accept whatever loss they pay. Their, like, their what about Deserto though? Because I know they do a bunch of they they put out a very a lot of clickbaity short term content. That's how I think Dexter. Because I, I think if any company maybe does, maybe it's Deserto. But they also do some really. I don't like a lot of the stuff they write. Um, they don't and just do esports though. So no, let's they leave don't. it at that. Okay, so that makes that makes sense. Right, makes sense. like any site that makes money doesn't just do esports. Exactly, and yeah. the esports divisions aren't the ones that carry the site. Like, yeah. I love you, Dustin Steiner, uh, and you know, you know, Richard's doing some really good stuff over there. Some good stuff, um, but let's be clear: their their SEO work is what's bringing in their money, and then yeah. that money allows them to pay their esports division. Yeah, and someone, you know, what, someone who sees this who is from Dexerto might come in and be like, you're fucking wrong. And if I am, I'll like eat my shoe. But like, based on my understanding of how the esports uh, ger- like media infrastructure works, I just don't, you guys must have like cracked some mythical fucking code then 
that no one else has been able to figure out. Yeah. Um, I'd be very surprised uh, if even ESPN is like raking in yeah. uh, mad stacks compared to like their cost expenditure. Um, no, and also for the most part, like no publication is like period. Like, yeah, that's just yeah. I don't think. I don't, right yeah, I don't think. I don't think most journalism does actually make. And money. so when these when these uh, angel investors and stuff want to make these websites, you know, their fucking upcomers or their PVP lives, they don't understand that like you need an additional business model yeah. that justifies your your cash burn because you're not going to make money in your first like two to three years as an esports outlet. Yeah, you know that was. I think that that's part of the problem that like even Yahoo had of like. I don't know if you saw how many people were laid off in the esports division. That's yeah. a really big team. Do you want to know how many people are in the esports and the ESPN esports team at the same year? Five. Something yeah. like 20, 30 people were laid off yeah. when That's... Yahoo Esports shuttered. I'm not surprised that AT&T, when they bought Yahoo, went, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, not that makes right? sense. And so some people could probably might come up and be like, "Well, you're speaking out of your ass. You don't have any facts." But like, I know for a fact how many people are officially ESPN esports and not just editors that work at, e at ESPN yeah. that like work on ESPN esport projects. And then you can look at how many people were part of Yahoo. Yeah, that makes sense. Like officially a part yeah, of the Yahoo there was a lot because I remember when that happened. So my question for you then: Why stay in esports? Do you ever think about just like I don't know going back to school or doing anything like that or trying to find a different career path? Money, and I'm still poor as fuck. Okay, that's that's a fair that's a fair reason. Uh, I mean, like that's what like a lot of people ask me that like why are you still in esports? And for a while it was because like I it's hard for me to get a job as an unsuspecting like like <laughs> where I live, but where I live is also sustainable because like my rent my cost of living not including my groceries is only six hundred and twenty five dollars a month. Yeah, so like cool i could move to maybe a more diverse area but like to like get a retail job that my cost of living would be higher so like i need to be working more than one retail job and why move right like yeah. why move from a higher stress environment but be employable right like so um i'm, I'm looking at some options like right now uh i'm in a place where i have some time to figure out some stuff um so we'll see what happens but uh the other reason I, why i don't leave i mean i also have effectively left esports right like i don't really do league content when's the last league article i wrote oh, I don't know. yeah when's the last time i wrote an Over overwatch article right yeah. like i've left esports proper i just do the ftc yeah. right and even though the ftc is part of esports i've it's a very different thing and so um i've effectively left esports like it's not worth my like I I've had such a negative experience with esports over the years that I'm totally okay um not doing like I I think you, you probably saw my tweet where I was like these are the five people I want to interview and there was some there was like I think there's two Overwatch names on it. Um and it's only because I want to talk to them about their personal stories and I have no care about them as like Overwatch players. I actually did not see that tweet, but I feel like I would like I to see that tweet. I made a tweet where I said that I, I want to re-interview Bishu because I caved into the internal pressure in my head to make the interview about Overwatch somehow. 
when I really only wanted to talk about the fact that both of us have ulcerative colitis. Um, I want to talk to Effect about coming out as bi and uh, the mental health issues that he had that caused him to want to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that my backgrounds and the things that I do allow me to handle interviews like that. And then I want to talk to Shox uh, for a couple of reasons. I want to talk to IDOM, um, who is the winner of the Capcom Cup, and Sonic Fox, because I've never had a real interview with Sonic Fox. Uh, I've had very short ones. Um, but yeah, any anything that I want to do in the like big esports has literally nothing to do with the fact that their, their players yeah. specifically play their game, right? Um, if I ever talk to faker i it would be about like how weird is it to be famous because you play a video game yeah i mean that that makes sense yeah i don't care about you know double lift's 25th trophy and his redemption arc and how's it feel to stick it to see it like fuck that i don't give a shit there's nothing about the double lift story that i have that like i could tell because I don't know double lift enough to talk about the things that I would want to talk to him about. Yeah. Like his family got murdered. Yeah. You know, I don't know him. I don't have an interpersonal connection with him to, to, to talk about that in an interview. I don't think esports is mature enough to have that conversation with him. And I think the only person that's close enough to him won't do that type of article. Yeah, I think right? it's fair. I think Travis yeah. Gafford is the only person that has, you know, I think the personal connection with him to do it. And I don't think he will. And I respect him for not for not if he chooses not to. Like, I'm yeah. not saying this is like a slight. There's a lot of things I could say at Travis Gafford as a slight. This is not one of them. Yeah, I completely understand why he would not leverage his connection with Double If to tell that story. Yeah, 100%. And you know, like that, that's, that's something someone has that, to be ready and come out and talk about themselves, and they need to be wanting yeah. to tell that story. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. There's just not enough. There, I don't know enough about these players, and they don't put out enough about themselves um, to 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 tell stories with them. But I yeah. know stuff yeah. about what happened with Effect, right? Like he he was pretty public about it. I I grew up with ulcerative colitis versus Bishu finding out like four years ago that being diagnosed with it so like i can relate to a lot of things and it's really interesting to me because i know how my body interacts with ulcerative colitis and stress and boy oh boy is being a professional esports athlete stressful and not great and you know in my regular life i can miss a couple of days because i have a flare-up you can't miss like look at what it did to his whole yeah. uh uh split one for for season two he didn't compete at all because yeah. he had his yeah. flare up didn't calm down for a week. Right? He missed an entire stage. Yep. So like that's a thing that I really want to talk about because I I I can and he found this out when we first talked that like I know what I'm talking about. I've been there so like I can handle that conversation. Yeah. Um but like I don't care about telling stories about about esports proper anymore. It just doesn't interest me and you know what? I don't think it interests the people that read it. I think they just read it because they want to hear something spicy. That's, they that's, want to honestly, see some... that's honestly why I couldn't do that kind of content. Like I, when I was debating like what I wanted this show to be, like whether or not it got popular or not, I wanted it to be about the the personal side of like the people involved in who I, and that was my whole goal. It's like, I was tired of seeing not content that was personal. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Whether or not esports is mature enough for it or not, I was just tired of reading the same old article where you ask the same questions and like very rarely do you see a, a personal interview out there. So. I mean, but that's what I've tried to focus on in my like last yeah. year and a half, right? Like yeah. my my all of my Rift Rivals interviews had to talk were mostly about mental health and burnout, yeah. right? I talked to Broxa about him crying on his stream yeah. when Fnatic was struggling. That's what we talked about in that interview. Yeah. But when I talked about the fact that he, I was told by Fnatic not to talk about his girlfriend, but I I knew Didn't how to get Whippo to naturally bring her up, and then hey, it's fair game. Whippo yeah. said something, but like. I talked to Brippo about like, hey, you dropped the ball after you moved out the team house, right? Like you can look at where you slumped. You moved out of the team house. You were living with your girlfriend and oh, hey, look, you were kind of a dumpster fire in the top lane. Like, and he owned up to it and talked about it, right? Kind of hopping back into it. We were talking about like uh, the writing styles and Amanda mostly focusing on like interpersonal interviews, which is not seen by a lot of esports. And this this being your primary focus kind of going through. Um, is that what you want to keep doing with esports? Or do you have like a dream job or passion that you would like to pursue somewhere else? Like if you could do anything right now, is it is it esports journalism if you could get paid all the time? Or is there something else that kind of like gives you more passion in the world? Um, you know, I struggle with this a lot because, uh, I don't, you know, despite, despite having, uh, doing the gig I did with Red Bull recently, um, where I covered their conquest tour, um, you know, uh, that was a really good bit gig. Um, I don't see esports content um as like my career anymore um mm-hmm. there's there's like there's like a, a last vestige for me um i'm gonna try something and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but uh every other opportunity i tried uh didn't manifest right you know i was at i was you know the magic editor of gamers for two months yeah. I uh, did the I did the you know trial at upcom I did the trial at PBT Live, you know Upcomer was gonna was paying was gonna pay me like a hundred per to write as much as I to write you know however many interviews I wanted in a month and then that evaporated right yeah. every every time that I've done esports in a way that I thought was going to be just like a actual sustainable long term thing for me didn't manifest. And so, so, like, some of that's my own fault, and some of that's, you know, on the website. Um, so, I, I just don't think it's something for me um, anymore. Um, I don't, and I don't, I, I think that's, like I said, I think that's partially personal, and I think it's also just, like, the way things are. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I do know that I'm going to keep doing the neutral. Yeah. And there's some other things that I want to do. Um but I don't have any like illusions of it being profitable. Yeah. Um yeah. I have a Patreon, you know, it pays pretty well. Thank you all my patrons. Um but I don't expect it to um become my job. You know, uh if if it like if my Patreon got to like I don't know, I think the goal would be for me to be making like twelve hundred a month. Yeah. Then I could see myself, you know, doing content full time. Mm-hmm. 
but that's not where my Patreon is right now. It's like at four hundred and sixty dollars. Um, and like I said, my my ba- without even thinking of groceries, right? I need to make six hundred twenty five dollars to pay all my bills. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just esports. Just I just don't see a world where like I make enough money doing esports um, and it being sustainable. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm here as long as I'm here. Like, I'm probably gonna be writing for some people to um, cover stuff because uh, you know I still need some income outside yeah. of my Patreon and living off of what I made with Red Bull. Um, but do you have a passion though? That's something that you really want to like work towards, or anything like that, or are you just kind of figuring that out still? Right now, I'm kind of figuring it out. Um, I think I'm gonna try to figure out a way for me to to do what became a passion of mine in college, and I've kind of kept doing it since. Which is, uh, I became a diversity trainer in college. Um, first as a safe space coordinator, and then getting, uh, you know, getting a lot of training as a diversity trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of work in all of the spheres that I've existed in, in diversity and inclusion. You know, I've worked with any key, um, and ESL, uh, about their inclusivity practices. Uh, as a magic judge, I pushed for better diversity and inclusion, both in our tournament role structure and just the way that TOs, uh, run their events. Um, you know, that's been a thing that I've just been working on. Uh, I talk at local schools um to queer youth uh and so i've thought about moving back into that sphere professionally um i just haven't really figured out how um because you know esports was was fulfilling at one point uh i just don't see it i don't see what i'm currently doing in esports as being fulfilling yeah um There's some stuff that I could, like I said, I don't want to jinx anything. There's some talks that I'm having soon about some stuff and some things. Uh, and depending on how that goes, that's how it goes. Um, but broadly speaking, um, I don't really have a plan right now. But that's part of the benefit of, like I said, working that Red Bull gig and, you know, how cheap my cost of living is. Um, I made enough money that I can be f- okay for up until like July. Mm-hmm. So if I don't figure things out by July, I'm not like done. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not dead yeah. in a ditch. That's good. Um, I, I would prefer that not to happen. But uh, you know, I, I have time to figure shit out. I think one of the worst parts of my adult life and the fact that I lived it mostly impoverished is that I kind of ran from job to job. Um, whether or not it was good for me or not, or yeah. whether or not I was mentally in a place where I should be working. And I think I burned a lot of bridges and a lot of opportunities because I wasn't mentally healthy while trying to work work these jobs. Whereas like if I was in any sort of better financial standing, I could have just said, you know what, I need to work on me. Like I, I completely fucked my riot opportunity, right? Like I, I was not mentally healthy and I didn't do a good job when I was writing for, the, for what was then the EU LCS. And I fucked that opportunity. That had nothing to do with like riot or anything. Yeah. That's all yeah. on me. Um, and I just like think about a world where like I was in a better mental place or could, fo- or been like, Hey, you know what? Um, I can't do this right now. I need to work on me. And then I guarantee, like, I know for a fact that I could have come back and said, Hey, I'm in a better place now. Could I take that opportunity? I think I would have been able to, but I, I wasn't 
in a financial place where I could really say no to getting paid what I was getting paid at Riot. So I did it and I fucked it. And uh, that's kind of like some of the story of my life um, of just like running into things because I needed the money. And I'm really happy right now that like I don't need the money, right? Like I, I'm, I make, I'm in a financial situation right now where like I'm not sitting pretty, but I, like I have food in my fridge in my pantry, you know, I can pay all my bills without asking anybody for money. You know, I can, you know, buy magic cards if I want to buy some magic cards, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bought some stupid amount of RP to buy some stuff out of my shop recently, even though I barely played the game, right? Like I'm in a place where I can like do what I want to do with my money. Um, and so I'm working on me right now. Like I'm trying to get physically fit again. I'm trying to work on my mental, um, so uh, I'm more focused on that than anything career-wise because I like I painfully know that if I'm not good um, physically, spiritually, and mentally, then I'm just gonna not succeed. And so I want to focus on all of that right now. That makes sense to me. I mean, I think that's probably the best thing for you to do, and I'm happy that you're in a spot now that at least is more comfortable than kind of like anything that you've been before because that's good to yeah. hear. Um, yeah. I actually only have one last question for you. We've we've been sure. going for a while. I had a fun. I don't know if you did. I'm sorry did. if you didn't. Uh, no. Um. I mean, I, like, I, like, like it, like I, I, I know from watching other episodes that you know things could get difficult, and that's why I said like you know ahead of time I started preparing. How do I want to talk about this? That's gonna come up, and you know how I'm gonna talk about that when it comes up um i had a good time i'm i'm enjoying myself i'm glad that it wasn't just all about me being trans that's like that's always like my oh, worst fear <laughs> uh, I, I don't I mean, need to that, i don't need to bring that stuff up if people want to know that stuff about you then i, like I mean, talk about it on twitter yeah. enough yeah you talk about it all the time so i i, I didn't i wanted to know just a little bit like what it was yeah, like for no, you it's fine i was so, just saying but, in general like yeah it, yeah it, it was it was nothing was sort of out out of left field yeah. for me no, it's people are like layers. You gotta you gotta look at all the layers, not just one, right? And I wanted to cover yeah. as much as I could. So I have one last question for you. Um, sure. Having had the experience being on this show, um, it's a unique experience. If you could see anyone being on the show, the only uh, kind of criteria is they need to speak English because I only speak English, um, and they need to be involved in I would say the entertainment industry to some degree okay so they can be involved in uh, YouTube they can be all involved in Twitch and I classify esports as entertainment it can be behind the scenes I have I have two suggestions uh one good fucking luck with one of them uh which is Sky Williams okay I think with your background uh you could have a very interesting talk with sky williams i don't know how familiar you are with him i i am i used to watch his content all the time and then yeah, yeah. so you can understand why 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 i think you two would be a, an interesting fit yep um and then my super my sort of less you know oh man i'm trying to leverage the content that i want to do but i don't i don't have the, I don't have the energy um the other suggestion honestly would be um you know this would also be really hard because I really would like you to like maybe talk to like Andrew Kim or like Nick Luft, um, mainly because like I know some of the reasons why they left esports. Yeah, but I think it would be really interesting for them. But I also feel like you know they wouldn't really tell that story. I don't think. Um, maybe Jacob Wolf. 
Jake Wolf has a really interesting story, and he's told bits and pieces of it yeah. uh, in his own personal blogs that he's done in between doing ESPN stuff. You know, he's told some of the story when he was still at Dot, and then he told a little bit of the story, some parts of his story uh, for on a Medium post, like shortly after being signed by ESPN. Um, I think like he has a really cool story to tell that I think uh, he doesn't always really get the opportunity to tell anymore. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Tyler, Tyler, you know, Fionn, uh, also really really obvious reasons, but like, but I feel like Fion's already told a lot of his story. Um, So I don't know what more there would be to talk about from that, but I definitely think like Sky Williams is like the top because I think like he tells his own version, but I think it'd be very interesting to see what would happen if someone like actually tried to talk to him about it. Cause we, you know, there's a version of the things that we, we say because like we can control our own narrative and then there's what happens when someone else is added to that equation. And I think that could be really interesting. And then, like I said, I don't know if Jacob's dying to tell his story, but I think um, and a lot of the ways that people relate to Ashley King about how what she says about her story, about, you know, you know, she like, you know, took her savings and tried to live her esports stream. Like Jacob is a very self-made man. Yeah. Um, and it's also closer to the esports demographic and age, then I think a lot of people often realize, like Jacob is not very old. You know, uh, he's, he's pretty actually very young. young. Yeah, um, and I think that that's something that I think a lot of people can learn from because Jacob literally wanted to do something and manifested it, and um, by his bootstraps, right? You know, Jacob didn't do this because he had. You know, this is no shade at Ashley, but Ashley was in a financial situation where she could, you know not have a real job for a bit and hopefully make yeah. it ha- happen. Right. You know, Jacob, Jacob uh, did not have, you know, some of the opportunities that other people had. Um, and so I think it would be really inspiring for a lot of people if they knew some of Jacob's story. Okay. I actually really like that. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, Amanda. I had a lot no of fun problem. with you. On I here. Uh, it was nice to talk to you this way because we've never actually had a sit down talk like this. And so this nope. being like one of the first times, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, with that, I actually don't have any more questions for you. So if you want a shout out or anything like that, now's the time. If not, I'll close out the show. It's completely up to you. Uh, I, thank you for having me on. I've, I asked you twice. Uh, I feel bad that your views are going to be like 25 for this episode. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I don't care. I'll fuck the algorithm really hard. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks to the viewers for checking this out. Uh, you guys should keep supporting Blake. Uh, I, I really like what he's doing on this platform. Uh, you know, less the clickbaity Reddit stuff that he's been doing, but this show I think is uh, a unique gem in esports and you know gaming media in general, uh, and it's criminally underwatched. So for the people who like me who are here uh, to watch my episode, click that subscribe. Hit that follow button. Ring that bell. Thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate it. For everyone out there spending the minds of media, and until next time, I hope you guys all have a wonderful day.